Live from the Bronx, episode 25. We are the podcast that celebrates Bronx creatives and change makers, and I'm your boy, KB. You're... What's going on, beautiful people? It is your boy, Jay. Super excited to be here with you today. Y'all already know, before we jump into episode 25, go ahead and hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with everything we have going on. And y'all know the saying, tell a friend to tell a friend to check us out. So today we have a very, very, very special guest. And we are very excited for him to be here today. He is currently the district manager for the Bronx Community Board 6. And he is a New York City Council candidate for the 15th district in the Bronx. So please, please, please make some noise for John Sanchez in the building. John, what's popping? How you feeling? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. The first question we always ask our guests, right? We always want our, our audience to have a sense of who it is that we're going to be speaking to. So can you tell us who you are, how you identify? Yeah. John Sanchez, Black and Puerto Rican uh, guy that grew up in the Bronx the whole time, and I'm looking to make the Bronx better. So where, where exactly in the Bronx did you grow up? What, what part of the, the X you repping? So I'm repping a few, few places in the Bronx. I grew up on 167th and Walton. Then I moved to 184th and Park. Then I moved to Parkchester. But now I'm back in, uh, in the neighborhood I'm on... Um, I'm in the Belmont neighborhood near Arthur Avenue. Okay, you threw out a, a bunch of dope areas. Shout out to the Little Italy. I actually lived on Arthur Ave when I was in college for a little bit. So I was uh, definitely getting some really dope Italian food during that time. How did you first get into politics? Yeah, well, I went to business school. So I went to NYU Stern and I was going to do the whole business thing. Um, but I always wanted to work in government. And I thought, well, let me go to business school and then that'll be a good way to translate because business and government are interconnected. It didn't work out that way. Um, so uh, I was in D.C. doing some government consulting, but it didn't work out. And then I was a personal trainer in the Bronx trying to help people get healthy. But I really wanted to get back into government and politics. So I started by literally just sending a blind email to a campaign for state assembly in the Bronx. I reached out saying that I want to get involved. And then I just started volunteering and somehow volunteering once or twice a week turned into being there five days a week. And then he won. And then I was deputy chief of staff all in the span of about two to three months. What was that change like for you? Really early on in your career, you get this position. What was that like? Well, I treated the volunteer opportunity like this is my, my one shot to get into government and politics. And the good thing about government is that it's one of the few fields where even if you don't have a lot of experience, if you do a good job, you can rise very quickly. So even though I was volunteering, I was making sure that I was inputting the data right away. I was making sure that I was knocking on the doors. I was making sure that I was training other people to knock on doors. And I think what sealed the deal for me was during something called get out the vote, you know, election day, I had, I pretty much had a system where I was sending all the people to knock on doors. I had the system set up. I was really organized and I think um, everyone was impressed that I had no prior experience, but I did a great job. But it was great. I was happy, to, I was happy that we won. I was happy that I got a job. <laughs> and I was happy that uh, the career in uh, government was starting. For the listeners, what exactly is a, a community board? And what is the role of a, a community board? Yeah, a community board is the most local level of government. And it's a city agency. So what we do is 
we submit budget requests to all of the city agencies, but we also listen to neighborhood concerns. So if you're having issues with trash, or if you're having issues with traffic, or if you're having issues with safety in the neighborhood, the community board is the first line of defense for a lot of those things because we interact with all of the city agencies, whether it be parks, NYPD, sanitation. Another thing that community boards do is that we can plan community events, whether it be park cleanups or other events in the community. So it's really the first step where I'd recommend people that want to get involved and don't know how, go to a community board meeting, get involved with the community board. So can I ask you a question, right? Uh, kind of piggybacking off of this. I remember when I was living in Pelham Parkway a couple of years ago, I would see these signs on the front door of our building, folks inviting us to a community board meeting. However, growing up, I grew up in the South Bronx. I never saw signs. I never even knew about community boards. I never knew what the role of it was. All I used to hear is that folks in the neighborhood would, would come together for a meeting. I didn't know who was going, how they got there, what that meant. But there was never any advertisement about this. So how do people find out about it? Actually, let's backtrack. Is there a reason for that? Is there a reason that I did not know about these community board meetings, number one? And then number two, how do people actually find out about this? Well, to answer the first question, um, for a while, a lot of the community boards had outdated websites and they weren't required to update their meetings, the postings, things like that. And then also a lot of community boards still don't have social media accounts. So it's really hard to get the word out. Um, what we do is we, we have an active Instagram, we have an active Facebook, Twitter, and we, we update our website. I think you want to have a system where when people go to your website, they know when the next meeting is. And I think that's really important. Um, unfortunately, still there's some community boards that don't keep it updated. Is that intentional? Perhaps. Or maybe it's just being lazy. I hear that. So... Thinking about, I know one of the one of your one of the biggest pieces on your platform, right? Kind of related to this is is housing, right? Affordable yes. housing. What what all this looks like. So I would love to hear a little bit more about this. But I'm also wondering, as community boards meet and we see gentrification on the rise, we see developments, uh, building developments and housing developments on the rise in the South Bronx in particular, right? Which I know isn't doesn't cover all of your area, but we're just seeing the the change and the shift in the Bronx in general. Do we also see the members who attend, the residents that attend the community boards start to shift the demographics of what they look like? Do we start to see people from the local community who were there initially kind of phasing out a little bit with some of these meetings? Well, the good thing is that most of the community board members have been there for a while. Um, so there's, you know, longstanding residents there. And so just to give some background, community board members are volunteers. They're appointed by either the borough president and consultation with the local council members. So in some community boards in the Bronx, there's not a lot of vacancies to begin with. So it's hard to get younger people on the board. Um, the city recently passed term limits, so that's gonna change. Um, but I'm sure in some neighborhoods, there's a influx of newer people on the boards, but I think that's good. Um, I don't necessarily think it means that there's gentrification going on, it just means that sometimes you need to shake things up and have newer people on the boards to bring new fresh ideas. One of the things that when we, we actually got to speak before, you were telling us something about a, a birthing center, a birthing center yes. that I guess we wanted to open up in the, the Bronx and why that's something that matters, right? Especially for women of color in, uh, in the Bronx. So if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the major pieces of my platform and to give background, each city council member gets about $5 million in capital funding, which is for construction projects. So my thought process is we have St. Barnabas in the district. 
And a birth sensor is an environment that's outside of a hospital for low risk pregnancies. And it allows women to give birth in a more comfortable environment. And usually in a birth sensor, it's less likely that a woman is asked or required to have a C-section. Another benefit of a birth sensor is that it's cheaper. It costs less than having a regular birth in a regular hospital or having a C-section in a hospital. And the reason behind this is because Black and Latina women are more likely to have complications with their pregnancies. And we want to make sure that our women are healthy when they give birth, give birth safely, and raise healthy children. And um, sadly, the, the hospital system is not taking care of our women. So a birth sensor, it's more likely that the women are, have a healthier birth, it costs less, and you know, less risk of having to go through surgery of a C-section. In, in the Bronx currently, are there any birth centers? So there was one in Morris Heights a few years ago, but apparently from my research, it seems like it's uh, non-existent right now. I think maybe funding dried up, um, but we're trying to bring it back. It's important. And um, we want to make sure that people, the women in our community are giving birth to in a healthy manner. So this is super important, right? I remember when we first spoke about this, we were talking about how most people don't even think about this, right? Like a birthing center. What is that? Why, why do we need that? Why is this so important if you're not a woman? So I thought that it was really dope that as we were having our conversation as three men and hearing you and um, some, of the, some of the stuff that you're thinking about and the issues, it's really important for you to also voice that because I think what it does is it becomes a priority for other folks who would never ever even think about this, right? And we spoke in depth a little bit about the importance of this and why it's important to have these birthing centers and women to have the, the care that they need and the resources that they need um, to deliver healthy babies and go through a healthy pregnancy. Uh, so I think that is really dope, um, especially coming from coming from you as a man, right? So something we don't hear about often. Why do you Why do you think that is? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why men don't talk about things that matter to women. But I think as as a man running for office in an environment where people want more women in office, I think it's crucial that I can show that I want to be an ally and that I care about these issues because these impact these issues don't just impact women, they impact the whole family because if your wife, your aunt, your family member has complications through birth, that impacts the whole family. Taking it a step further, uh, we need more women in government and women in politics. That's why I have a year-round paid internship at the community board and most of my interns are women. And I think getting having women have that exposure and experience in government is vital for their careers because too often politics is uh, still mostly male-dominated I think it's important when we're talking about you know, women in politics. Yes, we need women elected officials, but we also need women to be campaign managers, chief of staffs, constituent directors. They need to be inside of the office because in politics, most of the work is done by the staff. And if you don't have a staff that's representative of the community, then yes, you can be the face, but if your staff doesn't reflect what representation we need, then I think it's a little shallow. I think that's super valid. So definitely shout out to to women getting involved with politics. Uh, we definitely need more of that. Definitely more women of color getting involved in politics. Yes. So in 2021, there are a lot of elections um, that are going to affect community members of the Bronx. So can you talk a little bit about uh, why the 2021 election is so important and what are some of the key key offices that are that are up? 
Yeah, so 20, so people are focused on the presidential election and rightfully so. But when we're thinking about the future of New York City for the next decade, 2021 is the year. We're going to be electing a new mayor. We're going to be electing new borough presidents, comptroller. And the biggest piece is that 35 of the 51 city council seats are open. So there's going to be elections for all of those seats. So we're going to transform the future of the city with all new representation. And if you care about what happens on your block and your neighborhood, how your city looks, how your neighborhood looks when it comes to development, what programs are funded, you want to be keyed in and voting in these elections because this is the future of the city for the next 10 years. You said something really important earlier uh, when you were talking about the birthing centers and it was that city council members get $5 million for new construction projects. I don't know if people are aware of this, right? When you're talking (laughs) about the importance of uh, the role of city council, can you talk more about this funding? Where does this funding go? How do we learn about it? And what are some things that you are thinking about as you're also running for city council? Yeah, so in the city council, you get something called expense funding, which goes towards personnel after-school programs, things of that nature. But you also get capital funding, which can be used for construction, fixing up a park, renovating a youth center, construction projects. And for years, this was kind of a mystery. But right now, the city council has it all online, and there's a website that you apply to, et cetera. So immediate things that come to mind for me is we need to fix the high unemployment rate in the district. We had 16% unemployment pre-pandemic. Now we're at 30% which is a great depression level. So I wanna invest a lot of the expense money towards workforce development programs that help people without a college degree find jobs that pay well. In the district that I wanna run in, 13% of people have a college degree. So I, realistically, I'm aware that they're most likely not going to go to college, but they still should be able to have a living wage and have a good living without going to college. So to be very specific, there are nonprofits like the Knowledge House, Her Scholist, and Pursuit that train people in technology so they can get jobs making eighty dollars to $90,000 a year without a college degree. In the same vein, the construction industry also can pay very well, doesn't require a college degree. We need to be investing the city council money that we do get to train people to be qualified and ready for those type of jobs. I love that. So making sure that these, these young people even if they don't have a degree, have skills so that they can exactly. enter into the into the, the labor market. So just for people listening, um, I know you're running in the 15th district. Geographically, where is that? Yeah, it's, I, try to, I like to tell people that it's the heart of the Bronx, it's the central Bronx. So we go from the Grand Concourse in Fordham Road, um, Fordham University, um, the Botanical Garden, Arthur Avenue, and then the east part is Allerton West Farms. Very cool. All, all neighborhoods that I am very, very familiar with. I think I kind of want to talk a little bit more about like the city council role, right? And just local yeah. elections, because I think that to your point, we're all focused on federal elections that are coming up, presidency, yeah. right? But the impact of your community boards, the impact of city council and local government, the funding, how do people in the community, like we spoke about, if you're on city council, you'll get this budget to um, work on new initiatives or new projects within your particular community that you're representing. How do 
people in the community, whether it's schools, organizations, you just mentioned a few organizations, um, et cetera, how do they learn about these opportunities and partner with somebody who is on city council? What does that look like? So the way the system works now is that people in the know apply. And historically, groups that have been received funding in the past receive it again and again. Uh, my approach is gonna be completely different. Um, the city has something called participatory budgeting where people in the neighborhood vote um, for how they want to spend the million dollars. Um, I think that issue that 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 system's a little flawed because not everyone has time to go to these meetings, et cetera. So my plan is to do direct outreach to the community, have monthly, even maybe bi-month, maybe twice a week, um, you know, every other week, do sessions where we talk about what money is available, what people want to see funded in the neighborhood. And also doing direct outreach to the schools. We should be reaching out to every school, letting them know, hey, this money is available. What projects do you want to see funded? Or, hey, there's some city-owned land in the neighborhood. What would you like to see the city do with this money? I think you have to, we can't keep blaming people for not getting involved in government if the government's not reaching out to them. So it can't just be a meeting at 6 p.m. if everyone's just getting out of work. We need to be doing uh, Instagram lives, Facebook lives, Zoom meetings. We need to be out in the community and letting people know that this money is available and, letting them, and walking them through the process. I'll give you a clear-cut example. The borough president also gets um, capital money, and that can range from 30 to $50 million. So certain boroughs tell you exactly how to apply, when the deadline, et cetera. But other boroughs just tell you to submit a letter, but it doesn't tell you who to submit it to. So there are def there's definitely some gatekeeping when it comes to the money. But this is, this is taxpayer money, and people deserve to know how it's being allocated and that they should have an influence in it. Not just that, too, right? You just mentioned, uh, uh, even though we're talking about how, how to get other organizations and schools involved, the young people that are in those communities, right? How do they learn about this? You mentioned something really dope, which was that you had um, interns who will work with you to learn more about politics. One shout out we have to do really quickly because it's someone we have mutually in common is Alex Shaw. So we, uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw that you you posted that she was a part of the team. We actually interviewed her and Geraldo who are both a part of a, a, the Black Student Union group at Fordham yeah. University, Asili. So um, I'm a Fordham grad alum. Fordham alum right here. So uh, we were really excited to have them. So I had to give that shout out on. Kev, I know you wanted to add something. Yeah, Alex is great. You know, I was, I was, I was a VP of Asili when I was there. So it was great to see Asili's legacy. And I was super happy to see her uh, on the team. Nice, nice. Yeah. And I think, um, I think things like that are important. Just getting people exposed to government. Because when we're talking about jobs and workforce development, a big percentage of available jobs are in government. You can work for a city agency and change how parks projects are delivered or work for HPD and work on affordable housing projects. You can work for EDC and work on economic development projects. And I find government interesting. I mean, you're changing how neighborhoods function and there are thousands of jobs in that sector. We want to show young people that Yes, you can work in the private sector, but also working in the government is innovative as well. And you can see how your government works. And I, I, another thing I tell people is that, you know, the New York City budget's about $90 billion. You should want to know how that money's being spent, and you should want to be a part of the discussion when that money, when people are determining how that money is spent. 
And I think to your point, I think government is actually super interesting, but I think a lot of people are, are scared. And I think there's always been this uh, kind of iron curtain that uh, yeah. people didn't necessarily know what was happening behind. So people kind of were checked out and turned off like, well, they're not going to really tell me what's going on anyway. So I'm not going to really be involved. So I love that you're talking about transparency. Oh, yeah. I mean, we value transparency all the way. Um, and that's why we do monthly civics workshops where I break a lot of this stuff down, where I tell people, here are your actual elected officials. Here's what money they do get. Here's what money they don't get. Uh, like a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I want an after school program or I want to have a recreation center. And I tell people, well, the president isn't going to be the ones to fund that. That's going to be your local council members. That's going to be your assembly members. And we need to hold them accountable. And I love the, the civics workshop so people can actually learn where they can look up who their council person is, who their assembly person is, like, where do I go to find that stuff? So I love that you're doing that. Yeah, exactly. So, and we don't just do a presentation. We send them the slide deck afterwards and we tell them to share this with your own community because this is all public information and we want to spread it throughout the whole Bronx and throughout the whole city. I love that. So obviously you talked about social media and how social media is a big part of of your campaign. So can you talk about how you use social media so far and how you plan to continue to use it? So take a step back. I'm well aware that most of the voters in the Bronx tend to skew older, but there's a younger generation that's coming up that's more involved, that's more civically engaged, and we have to meet them where they are. And young people are on social media. So our social media page, we try to make it a little bit different than others. That's why we have a section where we highlight our team members because I want people to know that the election's not about me, it's about the team and me. And without an effective team, no one can be in office and do a good job. And we also try to show highlights of what we're doing in the neighborhood. So we try to show us on podcasts and different platforms because usually when you think of a politician's social media page, you see pictures of them shaking hands and glam shots. But I really wanna inform people as well that yes, I'm running for office, but I wanna take you inside about how a campaign works from the beginning all the way to the end. And hopefully that end is victory. Can I ask you something? You, you mentioned two things that are, I think are important and I want to dive deeper into really quickly. I think yeah. one is the role of government and uh, Kevin and I both occupy government positions in government agencies, right? And one of the things that I always find to be challenging as somebody who's bringing you perspective, right? The, it always isn't accepted in, in, the, in, the, in the world of politics, right? It's like, who is this person coming in here trying to change the way we've been doing things for 30 years, you know? And it sounds like you have a lot of innovative ideas. You're almost thinking about local politics in two ways, right? It's like the grassroots and, and getting people from the community on the ground kind of leading those discussions, but also you making those decisions and running for positions that allow you to do some macro level work, right? So kind of a two-part question here one how do you deal with opposition as somebody with innovative ideas and two what is kind of like just and this is my own uh selfish curiosity what is your strategy right assuming that you get this uh city council position like how are you going to continue all this great energy all the innovative ideas and win people over excellent question because people face this in all industries across the board so when I started my job at the community board, I was um, taking over someone that, that had been there 21 years. And there were several board members that were used to the old way of doing things. And right away, uh, what I did was I reached out and met with every community board member. 
whether they had been on the board for a year or 20 years. And I told them about my ideas and what their ideas and tried to get their feedback. But then at the end of the day, you have to think politically and you have to think who is willing to support change and innovation and you need to get them on your side. You know there's always gonna be resistance, but you just need to make sure that your supporters outnumber the people that are opposed to you. <laughs> so whether that means getting a vote to get a new website for the community board or having the board approve me having the year-round paid internship program or having the board approve me doing fitness classes and financial literacy classes, you have to work with your allies, but then also you need to build your allies. So that means recruiting more people that are aligned with the vision to join the community board, encouraging them to come to meetings, encouraging them to participate. That way you build your base of support. Because if I would have just went um, guns blazing, I'm changing everything without consulting and building the, those coalitions, I probably would not be in the job right now. <laughs> so in the same way at the city council, yes, there's a lot of ideas that I have, but I realize that there's gonna be existing members that have a certain way of doing things. I think the exciting part about 2021 is that there's gonna be 35 new people. So we can really redefine the role of the city council. And I'm sure people are want to, they wanna change what's going on in this city. So that's the exciting part that I'm not going into an institution that is largely um, comprised of people that have been there for years. It's all new blood. So we have an opportunity to really change things in the city. But general ideas um, of how to change things when you have innovation and you have a bureaucracy that wants to resist, you need to find a champion that's willing to work with you. You need some allies because we can't do this alone. And you need to build that base of support so that way you have X person that supports you. Then you have another person that supports you. So that way, when those debates and arguments are happening, you have people behind you. So that way you're not alone in the fight for change. So I, I like what you said about creating that base of support. What have been some of your biggest wins at, at Community Board 6? What are some of the, the things you've been able to accomplish? Yeah, so, you know, Community Boards are typically known for having meetings and yelling whenever a homeless shelter is uh, proposed. But we try to do things that are different than that. Um, I'm probably most proud of having the year-round paid internship program. I've probably had more than 40 interns over the course of 40 years, uh, over, the, over the past uh, four years. And they've gone on to work at the city council, the state assembly, going to grad school. So it's great to see that we were the first step for their career in government. Another thing that I'm really proud of is that after the um, tragedy of Junior's death, um, that was in our community board, and kids that knew him approached me and said, we've been wanting to have open gym nights for years in the summer and no one wants to help. They went to all of the elected officials, none of the elected officials stepped up. So I just said, well, the community board has a budget. We're gonna sponsor open gyms for the summer. And we did it at Roosevelt High School and Dodge High School. And we had 100 to 150 young people like waiting outside at, right before 6 p.m. to be there and it was a great time and it was just something, it was a small thing. It didn't require a lot of money, but it had a big impact. And it showed people that government actually can do things. We do care. And um, we're trying to expand that. If I'm in the council, I want to do that throughout the Bronx because we have all this unused space in the Bronx, our schools. So why aren't we using these school gyms in the summer so young people have a safe place to be during the summer? And we took it a step further. We started doing weekend volleyball at Aquinas High School. You had 100, 150 
you know, men and women just playing volleyball, co-ed sport. It was great. They were coming on Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. You, you both are in education. You know young people don't want to wake up early on a Saturday, but they were coming consistently. And it's like things like that, um, it sets a precedent of what a community board can do. Um, I'm proud of a lot of other things like sponsoring financial literacy classes, fitness classes, um, doing a scholarship contest where we awarded $2,000 to high, graduating high school seniors. I guess what I'm most proud of is that we've done so much that's not uh, expected of a community board. We've went above and beyond the job description, which is what I'm most proud of. I love all of that. And one of the, one of the themes that I heard in a lot of it was getting young people involved getting young people galvanized, right? So young people seeing like, hey, this is a community board. These are quote unquote politicians, but they're giving back and they're involving the community and they really care. And as an educator and also someone who's coached, finding gym space, like I was uh, the, the girls basketball coach from my high school for the last four years. Mm. And um, finding gym space is a challenge. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's And it's such a powerful thing. And it's, having af like an after school gym for those two, three hours could be so transformative and powerful for young people because if they're there, then they're not somewhere else doing something else. They're doing something constructive and positive, exercising, working out. So I, I love that. And the, the internships, I think that's hugely amazing as well. So I, I'm a fan of all, all that you just said. And I just wanna add something here, right? Because what the young people were saying to you is really important to, to consider, right? It's the fact that we went to all these elected officials, no one is hearing us out. No one wants to open up the schools or the gyms to allow us to do something constructive and, and, and something that we enjoy. And I think that the reality is a lot of people in the Bronx have been forgotten. Uh, just just thinking about like personally where, you know, I grew up in the South Bronx. And as I mentioned, we didn't know about where the community board meetings were. We didn't know about uh, local government and the impact of it or why we should be in engaging because they didn't have a presence, at least where, where I was at. I didn't see it. I seen it a lot more today which I think it's great, but I think the young people have a, are, are making a really important point. And it's almost them saying, we no longer want to be forgotten. And we finally are able to find somebody in John, right, that is willing to have a conversation with us, hear us out, and not just listen, also try to move on action, right? Because I think that a lot of times in government, whether it's local, uh, statewide, federal, there are a lot of promises that are made that just never, ever like happen, right? We see this so often and you're so used to getting let down that it's almost like, why should I even engage? So those young people, I want to shout them out for walking over to you and saying, hey, this is what we're thinking, but also shout you out and saying, I'm not only going to listen, I'm going to take it a step further. So I do, I do just want to sh uh, shine some light your way for that because as somebody who grew up in the Bronx and so lives in the Bronx, I think it's, uh, it's, it's important. Yeah, and I think it's important that people put their money where their mouth is. I was willing to make this open gym thing happen if I had to come out of pocket. And it wasn't easy to get the gym. The, the, the Department of Education- It's had not, us going through, yo, it is so hard to get gym space. Yeah, they, they, they had me fill out an insurance form. I had to get a letter from the precinct. I had to uh, ensure that the, the kids weren't going to be bringing any trouble. It was a whole bunch of issues. They even, one day, <laughs> they didn't tell us that they were renovating the gym. So I had to scramble and use the Boys and Girls Club that same night. So the Department of Education has some serious issues, but 
we got it done. And that's what matters. And <laughs> hopefully when the pandemic um, is over, we can continue and expand the open gym program. And this is something that should be happening citywide. We shouldn't have all this big unused space throughout our city, especially during the summer months. Agreed. Agreed. So we, we reached out to some of our listeners and mm-hmm. they actually submitted some questions for you. So if you don't Great. mind, John, we're going to throw out some of, uh, some of our, our listener questions. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, one that we have is um, how can local businesses with a social mission work with city officials to make change? This question comes from um, Amber Peters. We, she actually was a guest on our former show and she has an app called On Track for College. And what her mm. app does, it, it helps young people and schools with the college application process. So her question is about uh, local businesses with social missions kind of partnering with government officials. Yeah, I'd say the first step is to contact a local community board on wherever she lives and, t- and meet with them and ask, you know, I have this app, how can we collaborate? Because community boards have connections with all of the city agencies. They have connections with the elected officials' offices, the Department of Education, so they can make those introductions rather than someone having to jump from agency to agency. So that's the first step that I would recommend. And if she doesn't get a response from her local community board, she can contact me and I'll get her a response. Love it. You heard it here first. So we have another question for you. This is from Sis Listen Podcast. Shout out to them. They're another podcast. And the question is, what are some specific changes you would like to see in the Bronx? There's a lot I want to see changed. I'd say number one is that I want to change the, the statistics where less than 15% of Black and Latino students are reading at grade level in our borough. Um, I want to change that we're still the poorest borough with a median income around $27,000. Uh, now, if we want to talk about visible changes, that's easy because I think visible changes stand out and people remember them. So the old Fordham Library on Bainbridge Avenue, it's been abandoned for the past 30, 30 years. It's just, there's an old library and it's just vacant. I wanna see that as a job development and youth center. And if I'm elected, I'm gonna use my capital money towards that. The second thing is the old site of Borough Hall, which is in Tremont Park. So the Bronx Borough President's Office is on 161st of Grand Concourse. It used to be in Tremont Park. And they tore it down in the 70s because it was uh, neglected. I want a recreation center built at the site of the old Borough Hall and reform the comfort station that's also um, dilapidated and make that a healthy food center. Uh, And with capital dollars, we can do that. But I think people seeing those visible changes go a long way. When you see something that was vacant and now is thriving, that's very powerful for people so they can see that, hey, it was empty for 20 years, but no, government does care that we are listening and that we're gonna make sure that our borough doesn't have these eyesores, that we're gonna develop city-owned property. Why do you think that some of those spaces have been allowed to be vacant for 20 years? Because I've passed that, that library on Bainbridge and it, in my whole, like for most of my lifetime, it's just been nothing. So after a while, wow. you just start to just not even think about it. But, but you make a really good point. Why is it like that? Elected officials have a lot on their plate. That's why I think you have to come in with a specific focus of here are the two or three things I visibly want to change in the neighborhood, along with all of the other things that come along with government. And I think no one has had a, a honed in focus on those two sites. 
because it's going to take a lot of work to get all the capital money involved, to work with the city agencies. And you can't do 10 different things at the same time. You have to have a clear focus on one or two things, big picture ideas, to try to get them passed. Um, and that means working with other council members that don't overlap with your district, but you need to make the case that this benefits the whole borough. We need to chip in all of our money and work together because what happens in my neighborhood impacts yours. And people that go to this center may come from your district, so we should all be funding it. Um, but I think no one has made it a top priority because there's so many competing priorities. And perhaps other groups are more organized to make this an issue, but that's a top priority of mine. We can't have city-owned property be vacant. And to your point, you grew up your whole life seeing an empty space that's owned by the city. That's unacceptable, and I'll do my damnedest to change it. Well, thank you. I, I love that. I would love to see, I would love to see something there. So that's dope. Um, we, are we transitioning to, to rapid fire? Let's do it. Uh, all right, cool. So um, if you've, you've listened before, you've probably heard about rapid fire, but now you're going to get to experience rapid fire. What is going to happen is Jason is going to throw out five questions and you are going to throw out your first word or words that you think of. Don't think too long. This is meant to be fun. And uh, yeah. we're going to rock out. Rapid fire. You ready for this? I'm ready. So these questions are going to be kind of related <laughs> and some random. Okay? okay. So no explanation need, needed, uh, similar to what Kevin said. So the first question, one word to describe the Bronx. Beautiful. One word to describe politics. Tough. Who is your biggest political influencer? None. What are three words that describe your campaign for city council? Innovative, energetic, people-powered. And then last but not least, we spoke about open gyms. You are in the Bronx. Who is your favorite or, or what is your favorite sports team? Yankees. Awesome. That wasn't yeah. too bad, right? You killed that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how these, uh, how people from the Bronx are Mets fans. That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be with the winning team. Talk, talk that, that talk. talk. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I'm actually going to break the rules for rapid fire, Jay. Don't be too mad at me. So when, when Jay asked uh, your b biggest political influence, you said none. I'm actually curious as to, to why none? Because I think, you know, there's been thousands of people in politics throughout the years. I can't pinpoint one person because there's a lot of influences, but also I'm influenced by people that never were in political office. People that organize neighborhoods without, like Yolanda Garcia in the South Bronx who organized with Nos Cadamos and told the city, you're not gonna redevelop the South Bronx without our input. And they, determine what was gonna be in the South Bronx. Um, I think about people that were organizers that were never in elected office. So when I'm thinking about politics, yes, we have history and precedent and there are elected officials that have done great things. But like I mentioned before, a lot of times the staff members were the ones that really drove these initiatives. So I can't point to one influence. I take bits and pieces from people throughout history. And also, I mean, I'm not trying to be a typical politician in the sense that 
if I lose, I lose. If I win, I win. My first priority isn't going to be getting reelected. My first priority is going to be to get these things changed in the neighborhood, like the old Fordham Library, like Tremont Park. I'm going to make some people upset. That's okay. But if we change those two things and I lose reelection, that's fine with me. At least I got those two things done. Very cool. So before we, before we let you go, um, obviously you are running for city council in the 15th district. I guess in a sentence or a few sentences, why should folks vote for you? <laughs> Great question. They should vote for me because I have the experience. I've done the job at the community board. I've redefined and transformed what a community board can do. I would do the same thing at the city council. And I have specific ideas. I don't just have slogans. So when it comes to economic development, I want to invest my discretionary and capital dollars towards workforce development. When it comes to housing, I want to change outdated land use rules that prevent affordable housing and wealthy areas and parts of the city where people don't want to live near poor people. I want to change that and the city council can do that. When it comes to education, we need to be thinking big. And I want the city and the city council to invest in municipal broadband so we have low cost internet so people can do their schoolwork, do their job, but also do telehealth. And I think in this new age, we need people with bold and specific ideas. It's not enough to campaign by hashtag. You have to have specific ideas and specific sites that you want to see um, change. And that's why people should vote for me if they want to see someone with bold leadership, specific ideas, and a vision for the Bronx in the next 10 years of this city. I actually love all of that. I love the specific ideas, not hashtags and slogans. These are the things I want to see done. <laughs> I love it. So for the folks listening, please, 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 2021 is huge for the Bronx, huge for New York City, but definitely huge for the Bronx. Please do your research. Make sure you get out there and vote. We need that. Also vote in 2020, right? We need that yes. too. But make sure you vote in 2021. It's really big for the Bronx. Um, get involved with your local community board. Uh, we need you. We need all of you. We need all of us. So before we let you go, we are a Bronx podcast. You are a Bronxite, a very proud one. Yeah. So we got three Bronx questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay. So first and foremost, let's say you have a friend who is not from the Bronx. Maybe they came to uh, one of your community board six meetings and now y'all are hungry, right? Yeah. Uh, you want to eat. Where's one spot in the Bronx you're taking them to eat? If they want Italian, we're going to Mario's. If they want Spanish food, we're going to Ajo y Oregano. Where is Ajo Oregano at? It's on Crescent. It, it's on Crescent. It opened about a year and a half ago. It's right on Crescent. Crescent and 184, uh, 185. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So now let's say you and that friend are fed like you ate. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now you want to hang out in the Bronx. Where's yeah. one spot you're taking them to chill? So what kind of chill? Touche, <laughs> touche. That was a, you, you know what? We leave, we leave that question vague on purpose, right? So whatever chill means to you, uh, where you take I it? I think to be safe, uh, we could do the botanical garden right after eating. It's not uh, too far. We could walk off the food, nice scenery, see the Bronx in a different light. That's a good walk. I love that. Cool. I, I feel like you gave me a very PG answer, like a PC answer. <laughs> off, off, the, off the record, I'm going to ask you where, you, where else are you taking them to chill? <laughs> and, and off the avenues right there. So we know there might be an intermission between dinner and botanical <laughs> gardens. Yeah, there might be an intermission. Very cool. So last but not least, 
we know that there are so many negative stereotypes about the Bronx. And here at Live from the Bronx, we want to shut down as many of those stereotypes as we possibly can. So what is one negative stereotype about the Bronx that you've heard that you want to squash for the people today? That people that make it in the Bronx are diamonds in the rough. I think that the Bronx is a field full of diamonds and that the Bronx story is an American story. If you look at the Bronx in the 70s and how far we've come, we're pretty much the quintessential urban revitalization story. Um, Places like Detroit never really recovered, but we did recover. We came out stronger. Yes, we have our challenges, but people in the Bronx were resilient and there's so much talent here that we just need the city and other people to have that focus on us. I think for too long, as you mentioned earlier, people are still stuck in their misconceptions about the Bronx from years ago, but the Bronx is a, is a success story to me. Um, if you compare us from the 70s and 80s to now, we've come a long way. There's a lot more further there to go, but the Bronx is a great place to live and it takes young leadership to uh, make it even greater. Thank you for, for spending your Saturday morning with us. Thank oh, you for thank kicking you for it with me. us. Thank you for letting us know about what you have going on in Community Board 6. Thank Mm -hmm. you for letting us know about your your campaign um, for City Council, 15th District in the Bronx. That's right. We are excited for you, and we definitely appreciate all that you told us about. Get involved with local politics if you're listening. It is really important. It is crucial. So if people want to follow uh, follow what you have going on with Community Board 6, they want to follow your campaign. If you could throw out the social media for me, please. Yeah. For the community board, it's Instagram, um, Bronx, Bronx spelled out, CB6. Um, for the campaign, it's John Sanchez NY on Instagram. Um, on Facebook, same thing. I'm John Sanchez NY. On Twitter, it's NY John Sanchez. And the website is John Sanchez or NY.com. And Jay, if you could throw out our social media for me. So you can follow Live from the Bronx on Instagram at Live from the Bronx, B-R-O-N-X. You can follow us on Twitter at Live from the B-X. You can also catch us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. We launched the channel at Live from the Bronx. And you can feel free to send us an email uh, at info at livefromthebronx.com. And last but not least, our website is on and popping. Check out www.livefromthebronx.com. Episode 25. We did it, y'all.